Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullawar and I am back, meaning that despite a uh, good performance last week, Ben is moved back into his usual position and he is joining me this week as well. So Ben, welcome back. Thank you very much for last week. How did it all go? That's all right. Yeah, thank God you're back, to be honest. It was uh, it was good fun, but I listened back to a bit of it today and realised how good a job you do. No, you, you're great. I listened to that on holiday. It was quite nice, like I said, on Twitter or X, uh, to be on the other side of the podcast for once and to be able to listen to you and Steve and, and Jacob talk about QPR. So that was uh, very enjoyable. Um, moving on to matters for this week, we're going to start today with a bit of, it's not going to be breaking news for us, but some news that sort of developed throughout the day, uh, first reported by The Athletic, kind of, and The Daily Mail, and that's the news that Man City are considering <laughs> signing Eze. Um, I think throughout the summer, since the article had got released, that Eze was in a sense, refusing to sign a new deal at Crystal Palace, some sort of concrete rumour to hear that he might be moving on and we might be exercising that uh, percentage sell-on, whatever it is, has been at the forefront of, I'm sure, many fans' mind. I can't even imagine what Lee Hughes would be like uh, at the moment, no, it being potentially that a sizable chunk of money could be on its way. But I don't know about you, but I found myself sort of hoping... Can Arsenal sign him? Maybe not. Can Tottenham sign him with the Kane money? Possibly not. The, the one that I've always wanted, purely from a football point of view, is to see potentially as they link up with Pep Guardiola. It just be would be incredible, wouldn't it? See, it's really interesting that you say that because I'm sort of in two minds from a footballing point of view. I think if he goes to an Arsenal or a Tottenham at the minute, both are playing really lovely, attractive football. He gets to be maybe a bit more of a star at one of those. I see that as, as as maybe a more natural fit. At City, he would be fantastic. He also would be quite far back in the queue. He would have to do a bit of what Grealish has done and rein back a little bit of the expressive football. Obviously, City play expressive football, and there'll be a lot of that, but he'll have to be... I don't want to say more disciplined, because that implies that he's not disciplined, but I think you know what I mean, that he'll have to fit in very, very closely to the system. Um, that being said, it would still be fantastic. He would be fantastic there. And with the sort of money they've been, you know, throwing about this summer, we with the sort of you know the Guardiol deal and the um, Jeremy Doku one, I can't remember if that's gone through or if that's rumoured. We could Just be about in line on the edge. I think it's about to go through. In right. Sense. So so I mean, but we could be getting a sell-on fee pretty much near what we sold him for in the first place. Yeah, uh, it, you know, in that situation, like uh, like any time I play a good good shot in, in the game of golf. I'm just fascinated to see how I mess it up. And I'm fascinated to see how QPR would mess up having an additional sort of like, I don't know, 17 million in the transfer account. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Athletic is kind of, it's weird because, it, you know, obviously you will probably know better than me than when you're a journalist and you're looking for a scoop, you obviously don't want it to be too similar to someone who's potentially got anything kind of similar going on. So, the Daily Mail are leaning quite heavily on the fact that they want Eze. The Athletic and all, David Ornstein are leaning quite heavily on the fact that they want Nunes from Wolves. So it's like, you know, they're both being considered. They're both on a shortlist. And whatever happens, I think, because there's only like seven days left of the transfer window, whatever happens, it's going to transpire quickly. And in reality, we won't... If it does happen, we, this isn't sort of money that we'd be able to spend now. 
possibly not even January. No. Like it's you know it's a long way down the line. But the idea that it could be happening is something at least. Well, I mean, two things to say to that. One is that I I wouldn't want us to try and spend it now. If the deal went ahead tomorrow, I would not want us trying to spend it now because it, it's it's a part it's a point in the transfer window where we don't hold any of the cards. Really, everyone will know how much money we've got, know how desperate we are, know that we want to spend it, and that's not a good idea. So I, I hesitate to say because this season could take a nosedive. But I would rather try and sort of limp through and and spend the money in a position of strength if it does go ahead. Um, the other thing to say is and I'm, I'm not a football journalist for those who don't know i don't work in the football industry but what i seem to get a sense of from the talk around mick beale leaving qpr sorry to bring that up is that these rumors don't happen without someone wanting them to happen mm. um so we're basically either getting signs that city really really want as or as really does want to move and so either way that's going to become good news for us at some point um yeah so it's just a just a nice thing to think about and we may not spend all of the money. It may be an FFP thing, but either way, this is surely only good for us. I, I don't see him sticking at Palace for too long, especially if Palace must have learned from the whole sort of Zahar thing. They've, you know, he was a yeah. sellable asset for them for a number of years, but he's he's kept him up in the Premier League. You could argue, you know, probably in the end, it's worked out all right for them, but. Do you really want a whole saga with Eze? Do you want your this guy that you've... They've done what we would have done with Eze, you know, bringing him on, training him up and selling him on. It's the same thing, just one league higher, you know, and they're selling to a completely different market than we would. But, you know, it's just the way things work, isn't it? Yeah, and, and putting a Palace hat on, which I, I sort of find weird doing because I'm not a Palace <laughs> fan. I don't know the ins and outs. But they've got Elise tied down on that contract now. Surely the big fear for Palace this summer would have been losing Eze and Elise with Zahar having yeah. gone as well. Yeah. So knowing that they've got Elise for this season, knowing that they can keep him for this season, a bit like I was saying about us and Dykes on a very different scale, that they can keep Elise for this season and then sell him if they want to for a decent amount of money, I think makes the Eze thing much more likely. I think that's why the wheels are in motion. That being said, I mean, regardless, I don't see Eze staying at Palace beyond the end of next season. I wouldn't be surprised if he's still there at the end of this window. Maybe he goes in winter, maybe he goes next summer. So obviously, because of how contracts work and because of the fact he's stolen on his, this is the ideal time for us. So I really, really, as much as I love watching him at Palace, I think he's a really good fit there. And yeah. I I don't doubt that he's got the potential to go at that next level, whether he's at the exact right point in his career too. I don't know the answer to that. But for QPR reasons, it would be absolutely perfect if this goes through. I mean, he, he's just sort of making all the right sort of noises, though, isn't he? Like watching the game against Arsenal the other day, I know they didn't win, but the amount of times the commentators were saying the ball has to go to Eze, because if it doesn't go to Eze, then yeah. Palace aren't going to create anything. And, you know, just sitting there watching that, there was like a little swell of pride. And then watching him in England colours as well. Again, fantastic. Uh, and again, reading the article from Daily Mail today, they were saying that Man City scouts are supposedly impressed with the way that Eze controls games. Now, you know, you were oh. saying earlier about the way that Grealish had to sort of change the way he played ever so slightly. I would wonder whether there would be a case to say that Eze wouldn't have to do that as much. That like He's got that element yeah. where he can just sort of, he doesn't have to be all tricks. He's just a good footballer. Well, this is this is where I probably don't watch enough Palace outside of the highlights because it, it may well be that he's added to his game much more than I've realised over the past few years yeah. and that he is Guardiola ready and that's a fantastic sign. Uh, I think it's interesting that 
I think it was Les Ferdinand that said when Eze was at QPR, said at the time that Eze was one of the top five or six players technically that he'd ever seen, something like that. Yeah. So it's fascinating to see that he, he's called it that early and actually the talent was applicable at a higher level. I was talking to a friend from work earlier about how at the time Eze was at QPR, there was that Ovi Ajaria comparison. And every mm-hmm. time I watched Ajaria, I thought he was really good. I, I never really got involved in the arguments over it because I was sitting there thinking both of these are going to be top players. That's undeniable. And Ajaria hasn't moved on he's had a he's had a career he's had a football league career and that's nothing to sniff at but clearly whatever people were seeing in Eze at the time was that level above that we all hoped it would be yeah and where he's at at Palace right now analogies just come to mind I don't know how big you are into video games but when you're playing an RPG where you're sort of you know killing monsters and leveling up and you realize that all the monsters in this one area you're just dispatching them it's easy and so you think oh I can move on to the next area now and Eze has become the main man at Palace to the extent that he was at QPR. And that is the sign of, okay, time for the next thing then. See if you can bring that somewhere else. You've gone from QPR being the main guy to being on the bench at Palace, to being the one that the fans want to start, to being the one that is starting, to being the guy who's on the Sky Sports graphic when they play Arsenal, when they're advertising the yeah. game. You know, he he's the selling point, which is a silly thing to bring up, but I think it is relevant. It's all to part of the extent. progression though, isn't it? You know, yeah, you, yeah. people have got to have him. You know, you've got to be noticed. Like we know how good he is because we've seen it plenty of times. But trying to convince my friends, you know, okay, probably was a little bit too early. But sort of saying to my friends in sort of with previous, like yeah, like well, twenty eighteen, and then also like the most recent World Cup. Sort of like if you want a player that's sort of like pure flair and that could get you out of a hole, right? That Eze is that player. You know, I know that the sort of at the time Madison was the sort of the the, the fancied pick because he was in form and he scored a couple of goals. But you know, he he never actually made it onto the pitch, unfortunately for him. But just trying to convince everyone that that he is that good, and he we're not making it up. I'm not we're not biased. He is that good, and people are seeing it now. You know, yeah. the England manager's seeing it. Pep Guardiola's potentially seeing it. The best people in the business are realizing how good he is, and. um yeah, like you said, that can only really mean good things for QPR in whatever way it comes about. And, you know, um, whoever said QPR fans were too caught up on the club's past, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> we've already mentioned McBeal and we've mentioned we've done at least 15 minutes on Eze. So, <laughs> no, 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 we're, we're purely looking for the future. Uh, let's look back at something else that happened quite recently. A disappointing end to a rather brilliant tournament um, for a number of reasons, I have to say. Uh, but the Lionesses, of course, did lose to Spain in the end. Um, probably Spain were the slightly better team on the day, but regardless, it still hurts. It's a World Cup final. It can't actually... I think it can be sort of lost on people, really, how massive this is. That's not. It's not just anything. It was an England team in the World Cup final. That is huge. Yeah. That is, that's only ever happened once before, Um you know, and I feel like we are in both the men's and the women's game. We, we're lucky as fans. What been watching football right now is that we're having two teams compete right at the top, and you're expecting them to get sort of quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals. Yeah, and I think the fact that the Lionesses won the Euros was such a huge weight off everything. The expectation going into the tournament wasn't as stressful. You know, I was watching the games and when England were in a pinch, I would get stressed. But going into the games, I wasn't stressed because in my mind, I've sort of experienced this great pinnacle moment of being a football fan uh, watching the Euros last year. You know, yeah. I, I, I may not ever see an England team win any trophy 
men's or women's Euros or World Cup ever again in my life. That could happen quite easily. And so to experience that and to go into this tournament, just getting kind of surprised and excited by how well it was going was, yeah, like brilliant to, to watch. And I'm not feeling as sad as I expected I might have about it. Mm. I guess because we've had that sort of that high of last year, you've experienced it. We don't have to kind of, we're not searching for a trophy to end a serious long time without one. Of course, you know, mm. it, 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 if they did achieve it, it'd be an incredible achievement holding the Euros and the World Cup and winning them just a year apart as well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, um, it, it's remarkable, really. Uh, Chloe Kelly, of course, came on again, as she so often does off the bench at half time this time. So much earlier chance to get involved, but unfortunately didn't have the desired effect. So I guess the winning goal in two other finals and a quarter final penalty shootout, that's a pretty decent Inga career as it stands, isn't it? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of chance in the future again for her to get into the team in another tournament. But, you know, again, a bit like the Eze situation, um, you know, she's, I think, become a bit of an icon for QPR fans. I hope at least that she is. Um, and I don't think many people would have known until literally pr- after that game last year that she was QPR and a proper QPR fan herself. Uh, you know, every time you see her play, you'll use, I'm absolutely rooting her on. And I, I actually thought she played really well. She offered something, yeah. quite a bit of threat down that right flank. And, and I, I absolutely, and I really hope the club starts to put some serious weight behind the current women's team because I would love to be able to look at a women's world cup in 10, 15 years time and say, Oh, I remember her playing. The fact is I've not watched our women's team play a game. Maybe that's on me. Yeah. Maybe I should be seeking out those opportunities more. I do live, you know, down the M4, but uh, I, I would love to see, you know, budget and promotion and just yep. a lot put behind it. I'm not criticizing necessarily the way they've done it now because I don't know enough about you know, how much is dedicated behind the scenes. But I would just love for the, the QPR women's team to become a huge part of the club. That would yeah. be a, a fantastic thing to see, really. I think as well, I think I mentioned it in the group chat a couple of weeks ago, but we were playing in a pre-season friendly, the QPR women were playing Fulham women. And also, you know, all the all their games are relatively local, I believe. Um, at least pre-season, they are. Um, and I, it was such a struggle to find any information about tickets. I mean, it didn't end up going in the end, but... You, you had the Women's World Cup on at the same time and you've got your women's team playing fixtures against a local team. Even if it is just a friendly, QPR fans are, you know, oh, we're playing Fulham. Well, I might go and watch that. You know, you just get, you've got to put it out there a lot more and make it a bit more obvious, haven't you? Yeah, I I think that can definitely be done. I say that knowing full well people who do their jobs, including me, the people at the club, you know, are under a lot of pressure, have a lot of work to do and can't always do everything. But yes, I would love to see it prioritised. Um, it is actually worth saying that the the club are doing a pretty good job, I think, of having that uh, development squad Twitter page active now. Uh, so there's much more information about that. And I quite I really like that idea. And there is, you know, they've been doing that for the, the women's team for quite a while. But I don't know whether there's just not enough interest or what. But, you know, that, that surely right now is the time to invest in women's football, surely. with the, the Lioness is doing so good. The spotlight on it, you know, push it into the forefront. And like I said, a disappointing result in the end. But I think a tournament that and performances that a lot of those players can be really proud of. 
yeah absolutely it was it was great the profile of it was great the amount of people watching it was great the whole thing of have you, i saw someone posting on i think tiktok saying the phrase have you seen the game did you see the game are you watching the game was just used to refer to the women's world cup without saying are you watching the women's world cup did you know yeah. that the women are playing today it was a totally different profile for it and i know that people who write and talk about women's football much more regularly than us say that they would rather the talk is all about the game and not about things like attendances and um cut through and boring things like that but i think it is really significant and then yes as a tournament it was just brilliant to watch um i'm trying to remember who the opponents were rapidly but i watched the game where um, jamaica uh, progressed past the group stages and the sort of tense final few minutes of that and the defending that was going on uh and the emotions at full time was some of the best stuff i've seen in any football really so yeah um, yeah no it was it was just awesome and it's strange to think as well that only a couple of weeks out from the tournament, there wasn't actually a TV deal in place for that in the UK. You know, that it's still kind of, there's those little weird things that happen around it. Like that would never have happened in the men's game. A World Cup would always have BBC or ITV confirmed to be broadcast in it. The fact that it was just so, you know, narrowly missed, um, it feels like something that could have been a massive missed opportunity. But, you know, congratulations to what they did. And, um, you know, I guess the next challenge is defending the Euros. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Ipswich at home. Um, let's go through the team. I think the expected change at the back is Steve Cook starts and got his debut. Obviously, Dykes was injured, and that meant Willock came in up top. Um, apart from that, I don't think there was, was there any other changes from the last league game. I don't think so. That, that was that's home debut for Cook because he did start against Cardiff. Oh yeah, sorry. So yeah, home debut for Cook. Um, so I yeah, believe that was the only major change. Yeah, yeah, just that. So the Armstrong hype train keeps on rolling. Uh, yes, it does. It watching the highlights today, it feels like that something has. Whether it's just the fact that he's getting more minutes, but it feels like there's something that's clicked maybe over the summer. Maybe he's one of the few players that's actually going to work really well on, under Ainsworth. But everything that we do that's good at the moment on the pitch has him involved in some way. And I'm not saying that he's the lone hero for QPR. It might sort of feel like that occasionally. But he, some of the runs that he was making there, the chance that he had, it's just... It is a little bit frightening to see how good he can potentially be. Yeah, and chances that he had as well. So you've got the one that hits the post twice, and then you've got the one where, yeah, possibly he could have pulled it back for chair and possibly should have, and that's something he can be working to add to his game. But he created that chance from within our own half, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic to watch. He's a key player in games, whereas last season he was a great player who wasn't affecting games enough. Mm or was, was not getting the chance to affect games or was just too far behind on his sort of development kind of schedule to be in a position to start games. But either way, this season we've been playing to his strengths. I think this game, from what I've seen of it, because I wasn't there in person, reflects more of that slightly cleverer style of football under Ainsworth than what we've been seeing. And I think that style plays quite well to Armstrong's strengths. And then it was nice to see that he was at the open training the other day hopefully meaning that whatever caused him to be uh, subbed off wasn't anything too significant. And that's the thing about him is that because he puts in so much effort, he puts his body under a lot of stress. 
and at such a developing age you've got you can't it's quite you know he's he's still really young <laughs> like obviously because he doesn't have the physique uh physique of someone who is is he still 19 or 20 or something like that or... uh, around that i will have a check but you know it, it one of the things i probably should have done before coming on to the podcast is actually doing a bit of research but um you know at such a crucial age for him i imagine it's it's difficult to maintain such a high level of performance when you haven't necessarily done that before yeah so but, and he is 20 yeah, yeah there you go i mean that's ridiculous that he is that age <laughs> it's just because it, 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 he he looks i'm not going to say that the complete package but he look there's there's so there's there's shades of former players there and uh i think micah on his twitter page earlier sort of suggested that because he reposted a a video of les ferdinand crashing a ball into the back of the net after going on a bit of an imposing run uh, you know the similarities are there we shouldn't really be saying it but you know you can kind of see what what he's getting at uh despite that the fitness of the side is something that a lot of people are I'm not going to say panicking yet, but there's definitely a few sort of raised eyebrows at the fact that this early on to the season, a lot of the players appear to be knackered. Yeah, and I didn't watch the full Ipswich game, so I find it hard to comment on that. But obviously, from what I saw, and I, I did see quite a bit of it, we were, if not comfortably the better side, a really competitive side early in the game. And then the goal comes you know, slightly further towards the end. At Cardiff, that was really clear, and I saw that with my own eyes, where we were so much better Maybe they have a couple of moments where they hit the post or whatever, but we are consistently good and attacking and shutting them out. And every sub that we make makes us look a bit more fractured and every player who stays on the pitch looks absolutely knackered. And I know Ainsworth said that's a great sign. Players going down with cramp is a great sign, and it is because it's what... Ainsworth has been promising to introduce for the 15 or so games that he's been in charge and it hasn't showed up yet and, and has now started to and that's great but yeah we need to really make sure that we're in a position not just to see games out but then also to have a, a deep enough squad because we've gone with this slightly thinner squad approach whether that's by choice or by financial constraint or a bit of both we can't be getting you know major injuries on top of that and I know that people talk about Armstrong and his sort of physical profile and how that amount of muscle can sometimes, you know, mean players get injured and, and do struggle. And I just really, really hope that that's not something that starts to limit his career. Yeah. Uh, looking at the bench from the weekend, the players that came on, uh, Colback, Coley, Dixon Bonner, and then Duke McKenna right at the end. And then the rest of the bench, you had Richards, Lakesh, uh, Gubbins, Walsh, Adoma. You're looking at that thinking that you would like to see over the next coming days a little bit more addition made? Being realistic, it's not going to be a lot. Um, I wouldn't mind something. I think the fact that we've got Dykes, who is, like it or not, goal-scoring record or not, a reliable striker. You've got Armstrong, who's fantastic, but God willing, he doesn't get injured or something. And then you've got Curley, who I just don't want to force into the side too far ahead of schedule he's had some great games at youth level a lot of people have um and i'm sure that he will go on to be a good player but i don't want to force him to sort of lead the line if he's not ready to so i'd like us to bring in a forward maybe on loan 
you know, you've got Richards in there, jury's still out for me. Lokesh sounds like he's good. Adoma, it, we were weaker against Cardiff with Adoma on the pitch, and I don't like that. And I've had moments where I've thought that he's maybe looking a bit past it, and then he has surprised me with a decent performance, but we can't be relying on him at yeah, this that's, point. And that's that said with all, all the respect in the world for him, because I think he's fantastic. But That is a crucial yeah. point, isn't it? We can't be relying on him as the sort of first sub off the bench a lot of the time. So exactly. At exactly. some point those other players who are starting to come off the bench a bit more frequently, like Richards and Dixon Bonner and, and whatever, but they have got to be the players that are sort of, who are you going to turn to? You know, occasionally yeah. Odoma will work because he's still got that little bit left in him and he's, you know, fair play to still be going at his age, but you cannot be leaning on him like we did a lot previously. And also like we did with Austin as well. You can't, you couldn't be leaning on him entirely to get you the goals and stuff like that. What I will say is good is, by all accounts, um, I don't think um, Dizel had a fantastic game against Cardiff. Uh, people said that he was a little better against Ipswich, perhaps. And I saw actually there were a couple of nice touches and a bit of interplay with Chair. If the if the Dizel callback thing becomes a healthy competition, then you've got one of those players coming off the bench wanting to prove something. That's mm-hmm. a really good, either of them then are a really good option to have, whichever one ends up starting. And if it sounds like Dixon Bonner's being tried out in midfield, again, jury massively out. I've not seen anywhere near enough of him yet, but that's starting to look like a relatively healthy situation. Because I think if you look up front, not great. You look at the right back position, not great. And that's coming from someone who loves Kakai. I think Kakai is well underrated. You put him right centre back, you know that that's the position he's more naturally you know, happy to play. I think he is really, really good, really worth having, and I'm absolutely fine seeing him start games, but you need someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about Colback then. Uh, slightly involved with the goal. Um, he, he makes the challenge, doesn't get get up. I guess it's, pro- you know, the, uh, the way he's making the challenge doesn't sort of... Um, it doesn't sort of... Con- it's not conducive for him making another block, perhaps, but uh, a bit, you know, was it a bit slow to react if you're being hypercritical? You know, Cook doesn't get there, can't get there in time or can't or won't or whatever. Uh, and they just sort of smash it into the back of their net. I don't think, again, Begovic has much chance there. But do you think it was coming in the game? Was it a bit disappointing to finally concede? You know, because we walk away in 0-0 well, draw, despite the chance we had. You're probably very happy with that, considering before the game. Yeah, it's a it's a sloppy moment. It's a poor moment, you know, arguably from Colback and from Cook. I'm not going to judge much based on it because it didn't feel like the sort of game where the sloppy moment felt like it was inevitably going to come along. And that's the big difference, I think. It didn't look like we were kind of cruising along, riding our luck and, oh God, of course that's happened. It was one where we were genuinely unlucky not to have scored. However you slice it, we were unlucky not to have scored. And then we concede a poor goal and that, that happens. And the floodgates don't open in the way that they have done before. So, yeah, it was a bad moment, but it doesn't worry me in the way that previous bad moments at home have worried me in recent months. Okay, so uh, did Willock coming off at half-time worry you in any sense? In in what in a tactical sense or in a is-he-injured sense? Both. I don't really know what's going on with Willock. I mean, do you feel like you know what's going on with him? I don't think he knows what's going on with, with it, really. It's such a weird situation, isn't it? You've got a player that's in the last year of his contract who realistically should have plenty of suitors and maybe he already has got someone but you'd have thought you'd have heard about it at some point you know that there was at least a rumor that someone's going to sign him at the end of the season rather than now or maybe not 
but and there have been some loose rumours, but yeah, you would yeah. want you would think from his point of view he'd want to be put himself in the shop window with a really good performance. And by the sounds of it, he played better. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's st- good, it but. still seems really weird that this guy who had potentially like two years ago had would have had a lot of options on the table has now got a very narrow window. You're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to just not say anything because I'll go into my rant about selling players when they're at their peak and whatever. But it's it's upsetting, and I don't know. I was saying last week that I would kind of rather Willock goes and well, uh, I I didn't decide on it, but the idea that Willock could go for not very much money and we keep Chair and he's the better player. But it's almost. I mean, is it better that we sell Chair for money? Yes. And knowing that we won't get any value out of Willock, just play him to the end of his contract. Is that is that better? Absolutely. I think I, mean, if I, I think I think selling chairs can move, but yeah. yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I think to a certain extent you might have to sacrifice this season a little bit for the greater good. Yeah, you, know, you, you will get positive moments out of it, and you've seen that already with Armstrong. And there's a better buy-in to what Ainsworth wants. And you know what? I I don't think there's been much said about him, but in, in the few positive things that we've done as well, Paul Smith looks like yep. the player that we left let go a couple of years ago he's got that pace that energy and i love it i absolutely love seeing him play for qpr yeah um, absolutely but realistically you know if we stay up this year that's a success that's what above yeah. what a, a lot of predictions would have had us and i think it's above whether they say it or not it's above what most fans would have thought from us at the start of the season so if you sell willock and you sell chair and you stay up wow what a season that is <laughs> <laughs> which seems like a really, yeah. really bad thing to say, but it's a, this is a chance to reset. It's not a chance to be sort of like competing at the top or whatever. It's just, this has got to be like a little bit of, unfortunately you've got to take your medicine again um, because they got it wrong a bit, but they were getting it wrong, trying to push for promotion. And it's, it's finding that happy medium. Not everyone's going to be a Brighton basically. No, and but I mean, some fans would have your head on a stick for saying that. You know, it, I, I get, I, I agree with you. The goalposts have moved, or the bar has moved, or whatever you want to say. We obviously we're not aiming for promotion this season. I, I don't see any reason why we can't get in a position to start aiming for it. You know, in the next couple of years, you're, you're right that not everyone can be a Brighton or, or say a Luton, but you've got to look at that and think it means any club can be one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any rather than every. And I suppose, yeah, the, the sale that, or the move that puts us in the best position to do that, hopefully you get the Eze money, you sell chair, you keep Willock, Willock helps out a bit, see where you are at the end of the season, reinvest sensibly. And yeah, I think we've probably learned our lesson from the, well, have we learned our lesson from the signing Austin and Steph on long contracts thing? We've signed, is it Colback and, and uh, Begovic Come both on. on two years? Yeah, or, or, same or Cook, Cook as, as well. well. I mean, yeah, so... I, those are some signings that could really go either way because they're all known to be top professionals. But that is yeah. really key. And, and Austin wasn't not known to be one, but I think there's like this extra level with with these guys. Yeah. So maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's not. But my point is that next summer the signings have got to start being really canny again. And I hope that that's under Ainsworth and that we've got a stronger identity and know more what we want and can attract players who like want to actually come to a certain project because the whole idea of players wanting to come to the, come to the, join the project this summer is nonsense, frankly. You can get players that like Gareth Ainsworth as a manager and want to be managed by him, fair enough, but there's not a project that can be intelligibly picked out. So I guess the you, you've got to, you've got to, like you say, take your medicine, wait a bit, and then actually start creating something again. 
Yeah. Um, let's briefly talk about some transfer rumours, a few knocking about. Uh, Isaac Hayden is the most recent one, midfielder, currently at Newcastle. Obviously not, never going to get a chance there under uh, with, with the players that they've got there now. Um, Football Insider claiming that he could be on his way to us. But we're linked with him along with three other clubs in the championship. So, uh, again, referencing something that Micah said in the group chat, it feels like QPR just get chucked in on this sort of thing, like to make it more credible or just to sort of pad out the article. So, yeah. it, it, what would you give us? One, two, three, and QPR. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> give us a little bit of hope. Um, low chance of happening. I mean, I don't. Again, you're asking the wrong guy. I don't. I mean, do you buy into the sort of Twitter rumors enough to to genuinely give this any credibility? Like, I give it five out of ten. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a loan, yeah. but if it was anything more than that, I would really be not against it, but just sort of critical of it actually happening. Bristol City coming in for Willock. That's well keeps on getting banded about. We've covered our bases there, really, haven't we? I mean, if we get north of like a million, I'd consider it, but I, I don't see that happening. Really, I think it's. You know, it, it's a risky move potentially for them, but then also ever so slightly risk-free. You know, with the money that they've got from selling Scott, you just wonder. I would give that sort of like a six, seven out of ten. There's a good, there's a you wouldn't be surprised if it would happen. Well, if 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 QPL were in the financial and squad position that they were in, I would want us to sign players like Willock. Absolutely, you know, one of the best players in the league a year ago to the day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then... Casey... So buy him, please. No. <laughs> then Casey Shan, I'm going to say, or Shan, uh, we gave him a trial this week playing for the development squad. Uh, he's a left-back from Brighton um, that I guess is on a free now, 19 years old. I'd imagine if you're playing in the development squad, this is like a strong possibility that this is happening. or Not necessarily for the first team, with the age being 19, and certainly not considering that we have Powell and Lakesh. But unless I hear something that he could play sort of like right back, then there wouldn't be anything to indicate here that he'd be playing first-team football. No, and I mean, you know, it's nice that he's from Brighton. It's obviously a club that you want to be linked with players from, but I think it was the Athletic. I, forgive me for not knowing where I'm sourcing this from. They basically pointed out that if you look at the data profiles of any current Brighton players that they're looking at selling on for big money, and try and sort of scale it down to go who is the player in the lower leagues with the closest profile to this who could develop into you know, the next Caicedo or whatever. It's someone who's out on loan from Brighton. So if they're letting go of one, letting them go to QPR, you're not getting a top Brighton prospect. But well, no, yeah, means, you know, there was something there like X yeah. time ago. But you know, obviously they're not going to be letting go the next Caicedo, are they? No, and I'm being facetious by yeah. even mentioning it, but. But they're, they're, can't, can't apparently they're, they're doing it again. They're signing the next Cassiodo from uh, Uruguay this time. <laughs> signing from like 8 million or something like that. It just seems It's just incredible. terrible. It's are. just absolutely incredible that, you know, in a year's time, man, that Chelsea will be spending north of 100 million on this player probably. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I give it a pretty good chance. But like I said, I think that's more of a development squad signing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But by all means, you know, go for it. Okay, so uh, one last thing before we wrap this up. This is uh, something borderline stupid that I thought of today whilst listening to a podcast uh, from someone else. Uh, This podcast was talking about um, politicians and 
the way that they were watching the lionesses now i don't know if you listen to the news agents ben but you might have listened to this the other day um and it just got me thinking about sort of like the the three the three main party leaders who who do you think you could actually hold a conversation with about football because i i just think like oh this is okay out out of the three solely so for those who are not politically minded that's rishi sunak of the conservatives um ed davey from lib dems or keir starmer from labor I mean, it's just really bizarre. This is not an original thought from me. This is something I've seen countless times on Twitter. But the fact that Keir Starmer genuinely is a football fan, genuinely loves football, has played it, you know, pretty much week in, week out for quite a long time, from what I can tell. Yeah. He's terrible at making himself sound like he likes football. It's yeah. bizarre. He's incapable of doing it. Um, I, I don't think I could hold a conversation with Rishi Sunak about pretty much anything. Um, I mean, the, the, the big... that leaves Ed Davey, really. But... But, but then again, you saw the photoshopped England shirt. Yeah, that that I mean, because the obviously that's based off the fact that he's taken this like incredibly staged looking photo of him. Um, yeah, supporting the lionesses. I'll charitably say that that's probably the product of bad advice from a, a sort of PR person more than it's him. I, has he got a football team? I don't know. I mean, I, I just sort of apparently I can't imagine a world in which Rishi Sunak is a football fan. Well, but apparently he is. is. According to someone that came, well, he's a Southampton fan, isn't he? Actually, yes. Who's Sunak? Or did yeah, he... yeah. Really, Sunak. So it's the derby this weekend for us then. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I can sort of see what you mean. I don't think I could ever actually hold a conversation with Rishi Sunak. He doesn't seem sort of real enough <laughs> to have a yeah. conversation. It's... He, he does He does turn up at St Mary's sometimes, but then I've witnessed Michael Gove turn up at Loftus Road. And yeah. because, as it's well documented, I sit relatively near the posh seats, not in them, I will add, but near them. Um, and he was getting some gentle teasing from yeah. the crowd, which is quite nice. And I don't know if my footballing relationship with Rishi Sunak, should I be in the same ground as him, could ever go beyond that, really. Um, but no, ostensibly, uh, Starmer's like a massive Arsenal fan. Yeah, I just can't. He just everything. He's like North London. Yeah, but everything that he everything that he puts out comms wise to the football is like, and this great sport in which people kick a ball with the intention of winning, you know, and it just none of it comes across as genuine. I don't know. Did you ever catch his uh, appearance on football cliches for Mesut Harland Dix? No, I haven't. I didn't see He's that. on that where they name like their was it like top three things that they love about football and top three things that they don't like about football. And his top three things about football are basically that it's football. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. There's goals. Um, yeah, it's just so, it's sort of like, oh, I really yeah. like going to the football. The feeling of winning a game, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not. That's not good enough. I want a real answer. There was answer. one a while ago. There was one a while ago where, and I know you're getting put on the spot, it's awful, and you're in these high-pressure interviews and it's at six in the morning on the radio or whatever. But as I was listening to Radio Live and someone asked him, you know, who would your England front three be? And he couldn't name anyone. And again, I don't doubt that he's a football fan. I think he is, but he's just so chronically unable to to bring that to the surface. Yeah. Went, Who would your England front three be? And I think he managed to say, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'll say Saka. And then he was going, oh, oh, I don't know, you know, you've got... Uh, and the, the interviewer, maybe I've got this wrong. I'm very sorry to Keir Starmer if I have, but the interviewer goes, well, you, you might have Harry Kane. He goes, yeah, so of course you'd have Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just the strangest, like... Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't. Unless he's enough of an Arsenal fan that he's physically incapable of saying the words Harry Kane. I'm sure he's in real life. He is, um, you know, a, a, a proper football fan that you can generally have a conversation with. But it just doesn't seem to fit his political profile, does it? And it just doesn't seem to be. A th- I know it's a sort of. Like... Please, please expand on that. Let's hear the. <laughs> well, the reason why they they do that, right, is to be sort of like a bit more like the common man, isn't it? I mean, David Cameron yeah. was always told, didn't he, like, mess it up once? West Ham Villa, yeah. Yeah, like, it, he was obviously told, pick pick a team, or, like, you're going to support this team, because it's kind of near where yeah. you came from. Uh, and then he, he got it wrong. So it's just, it's and... just, it does, it is for a lot of them a ploy. But then, even then, because they're so sort of hardwired to being sort of like a politician and sort of, you have to be serious in that position, a lot of them. Well, you know, there are some that play the stupid card, but a lot of them play the ser- play it seriously. And then you yeah. can't then act like a normal person then, can you? But you No, and I get of... that it's it's not politically like attractive to just go like, oh, I don't really like football. You know, and, and, yeah. and in the same way, that if I was prime minister, I'd have to pretend that I absolutely love cricket and rugby when I have a sort of passing interest in in both i get that that's how it works but you know i mean when i the david cameron thing like when i was like eight years old because i didn't get into football until i was whatever a bit older i would get teams like west ham and aston villa mixed up but yeah. it was because they were names of places that when i was eight i wasn't very familiar with they played in the same color um again i didn't like football and to the best of my knowledge i wasn't prime minister so yeah you know, there is a slight difference there in how you've got to approach it but would, would it actually... just the whole politicians Sorry. Would it actually be so wrong if they didn't say what they just said? Oh, actually, I'm not that big of a football fan. Sorry, <laughs> you know. Well, I would, I would respect ha- it. I think it would be. I, I would respect it, but uh, but I think in terms of the stuff that has cut through with voters, like big picture, the prime minister on the front page of a of a tabloid wearing an England shirt, like that's. It, I I don't want to insult the intelligence of voters because I know yeah. that people care about stuff way more complicated than that. But imagery is powerful. When a prime minister wearing an England shirt when England are in a final, like I get I get why that works as imagery. I get why you have to sort of play that game, but just be better at playing it, please. I think or or go. I'm not huge into football, but these moments are amazing for the entire yeah. country, and I love getting caught up in it. You know that that's honesty, and you can still wear the England shirt, and you can still be there cheering and going. This this shows why football is fantastic, and I'm saying that as someone that doesn't even follow it week in week out. I think you could do that quite easily because a lot of people do that. There's quite a lot of people that couldn't care less about the Premier League. Then yeah. tournament rocks up, and it's almost like yeah, okay, that's this is actually quite fun every four. And that's years. what I love about tournament international football and this is something i say all the time because i got into football because of a world cup um well i've shown an interest before but really got into football because of a world cup and people people who have a go at casual fan you know the whole thing of oh you know these women's games they're giving away tickets for free as if the sort of great joy of football isn't convincing new people to get into football <laughs> that's the best bit of any of it and the you know i i, I if, if someone who's never watched football before and doesn't really understand the tactics of football has decided that their favorite footballer in the entire world is Mary Earps and they're the biggest Lionesses fan in the world. Pardon my language. That's fucking great. Like yeah. I, you've, you've got to have these moments that get people that, that don't know about or massively enjoy football in the men's or the women's game and just drag them all in. I remember saying to my friends in, in 2020, uh, 2021, when Euro 2020 was held, you're about to know who Jack Grealish is. You know, yeah. none of them knew who he was. He was, he was a good player at Villa he was an exciting player who you know about if you're a big football fan and he's now this national you know, media kind of icon 
Yeah. Um, so in a really long-winded way, I think a, a politician acknowledging that that's the cool thing about international football would be so much more relatable. Yeah. Ever so slightly returning it to a slight QPR stunt at the time of recording. Hibernian are playing Aston Villa. Uh, can you name the QPR yeah. player, former QPR player playing in that team? One of those teams? Playing which? Do I get to know which team or no? Uh, Hibernian. Um, Jesus Christ, it's going to be some centre-back. I'm picturing a no. centre-back. Is it centre-back? No. Five seconds. Oh, give, me, give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. Scottish. Huh? No, uh, I'm lost. Who is it? David Marshall. He, oh, my God. Cause David he Marshall. I mean, that's... I mean, very briefly. Listen, QPR former player. former QPR player. Yeah, yeah. Technically, yeah. could have been. No, but I mean, I I feel worse because it is a player of of my era. Like I actually, I I know who he is, and I just, I, I knew he was at Hibs as well. Well, currently yeah. he's conceded five goals against Aston Villa, uh, and it's five Great. nil to Villa in the eighty sixth minute. So that's not going well for them, and it doesn't look like Hibs will be making it through to the next round of the Conference League. Which is a shame it's very then. sad because, and this is a shout out for my friend Maya, who I make this point to very regularly. I like Hibs because they play in green and not many teams play in green. So I like it when one of them decides to. And that's my soul. And and you can see their ground from the top of Arthur's seat, which is also quite cool. And they've got a Proclaimers song as their like, club anthem. So soft spot for some very abstract reasons. Um, and I like David Marshall because he played in goal at that Coventry game. Um, but yes, yeah. you know. Let's uh, should we wrap it up and leave it there? Uh, d- very quickly, actually. Predictions. Um, a pr- well, I was got a prediction of type. Um, th- this can be the uh, the question that we post on our Spotify Q and A for this week. Uh, ben, how much possession do you think we're going to see against it's against Southampton? <laughs> um, it's interesting because you've got almost like rock and hard place there where you've got the most possession-based side ever, but also we're trying to do more of that. It's not like it's Russell Martin against peak Wickham Ainsworth, hopefully. So I'm going to go for an ambitious 32%. What do you reckon? Well, I'm just, again, probably um, something I should have done sort of much in advance. And I think, you know, saying that's ambitious is, uh, that, that says something in itself. I don't think you're going to get much of a chance regardless, um, even if we want to. I mean, we played Norwich and they had a hell of a lot of possession. And when Southampton played them and drew four all in a crazy game, Southampton had 70% of the ball. So I'm going to go for 70%. But do you not extrapolate if, if Norwich are like quite a good footballing side and Southampton had 70% against them? Do you not then take that remaining 30% and give 70% of it to Southampton? Do you know what I mean? Is that is that what we've got to do here? So bear with me while I get a calculator out on my phone and, and make a totally nonsensical point. But so you're looking at three times seven, aren't you, for for seventy percent of thirty percent, right? Or seventy percent of thirty, which is twenty one percent. So then, are we saying that they're going to have ninety one percent of the ball? We, that's how we're saying Southampton ninety one percent of the ball. I think it will be like that. Well, if they if they take their, if they take their normal if they take their normal seventy percent possession, yeah. and then you take seventy percent of the possession that their opponents usually enjoy because they're also good footballing sides and we're not particularly, and give it back to Southampton, they will have ninety one percent of the ball, and that's maths. That's proper maths. So that yeah. is maths for you people. But well, seventy five, seventy. You know, we could hit them on the counter. I think we're much better set up for that. 
Let's not try. I and, think like, we could get a result. Them. I don't want to. I think it's possible. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to be the most appealing, uh, visually, which some people care about. But when you're, you know, neck deep in shit, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. <laughs> it's not. It's not that big a deal. If we win one nil, who no, cares? Also, also like no no fixture is a free hit, and we don't have the luxury of getting free hits. But Southampton are good. They've already won games late on this season, so if it happens to us, it isn't a QPR thing. There's sort of this element of like I think I think basically as long as what we we sort of do what we did against Ipswich and show that we are a team that is improving. Yep. I think that's all right. I don't want to I don't want to dumb down. Like I, I want us to win. I really hope we win, but I'm not going to be looking at a an unlucky two one loss and go oh, we're doomed here. You know. Well, that's the question for you listeners this week, if you feel like answering it. It's be in the podcast page on Spotify. Well, thank you very much for listening uh, again. And uh, thank you very much to Ben for coming on and discussing all those things. We'll be back next week um, with without Ben, with Dan, with Micah. Who knows? We kind of plan it last minute. Uh, so that will be next week. And until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Come on, you ask.